Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Okay, guys, so we're back. Yep, we're back. Second episode um, on philosophy of science, right? Yes, and in the last episode, we, we spent a lot of time discussing some of the basic metaphysical foundations of science, um, like physicalism or materialism and stuff about how we interact with that physical world. We talked a little bit about perception um, and we got a little bit into this stuff about what science can and cannot effectively speak about. So I figure we can maybe branch off of that. But we also didn't get into a lot of other things. Um, and to try and relate it to some of the things we talked about in the last episode with epistemology, it might be a good starting point uh, there, right? If we talk about this idea of deduction and induction and how this relates to science and how science is ultimately different for from logic for this reason yeah and i think those distinctions are important because sometimes we um again we the layman conflate these things that shouldn't be conflated together and more importantly there is sometimes there is confusion for the reasons that we said last time right last time we keep on saying like that we have too much faith sometimes in mm. in science, right? And they're the faith, the, the, the super fanatics and the faithless. And I think that it's true that those things might stem from from this distinction, from better, from the lack of distinction. Um, aside from the fact that, again, you don't need to be necessarily a philosopher of science to, to understand this, but you need to have some of those tools in order to understand what science can and cannot do. Yeah, and I think something that happens often um, in class, but also outside of class, just in quote-unquote regular life, is you'll ask what science is, and someone will say, like, logic. Science is logic. Science is reason. And if you've ever taken a philosophy class or a logic class, um, you know that that's not the case. You know that obviously science utilizes reason or at least a certain kind of reason um, that certain logical structures are found within the scientific method right and inquiry uh, but they're definitely not synonymous and I, I think the reason why they're not synonymous has something to do with this distinction we made in the epistemology episode about uh, empirical claims and empirical knowledge on the one hand or what Hume called matters of fact, or we can say a posteriori knowledge, and then this stuff about rational claims on the other side, which is like a priori knowledge, which are about relations of ideas, as Hume would say. And I think this is the key to understanding the distinction. Absolutely. And, um, and I think this goes, if it's not the same thing, with distinguishing the two different kinds of reasonings that you were mentioning before, the deductive reasoning and the inductive reasoning. 
Mm. I I always tell uh, I always tell the students that you know when we think of, when we think of science uh, we have the tendency of thinking of certainty right things that are certain uh, because that's what science does they give us absolute certainty about things and then I tell them like mm, no mm-hmm. actually science doesn't do that science tells us uh, what is with the information that we have the most probable outcome which is very different right and already we have a completely different vision of what science is the moment we understand that it's not about certainty that can come only from deductive reasoning right uh, and maybe we'll say a, a little bit more of what that is well instead when with inductive reasoning which is by definition what science uses most of the time i want to say right we can only get to probability and never uh, to certainty, right? Yeah, and I think there's this generally this confusion between probability, possibility, and necessity. Yes. And a lot hinges upon the meanings of those words because when you say that, so possibility is binary, right? Like it's either possible or, or it's impossible. not possible. Uh, necessity, also binary. Something either is necessary or not necessary. But when you talk about probability, it's not binary. It's a scale. Yeah, it it's is incremental. More, it's incremental, right? So it's more or less probable. And so when we talk about these two types of argument that's relevant here. So for you guys that don't know, we talk about deductive argument in logic. And a deductive argument is one in which the conclusion necessarily follows the premises because mm-hmm. it is, quote unquote, already contained within the premises, right? If you like drew it visually, uh, the circle of the conclusion would already already be there, so to speak. Whereas in inductive reasoning, that's just when the conclusion possibly follows from the premises and hopefully probably, but it's possibly. And that's an important distinction, even though it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And... Again, it is important because sometimes we believe that, I mean, it seems from what we're saying is that we believe that science uses deductive reasoning, which is not the case, right? Yes. Because we believe that necessarily, from what the premises of the scientific argument is, will come out the conclusion, right? If I drop something uh, from the fourth floor, necessarily the the... Uh, rock will fall down, right? Gravity, right? And I know that sounds like, yeah, that's exactly what happens, right? (laughs) It's obvious that it's necessary. Things are going to be that way. But then I always always make this example, and then I say, well, yeah, but that's not necessarily the case, right? What if you are in space? Mm, That's good. Where gravity doesn't work. And it's like, oh, yeah, so... And then they get to the, the students usually get to the conclusion that well it depends on on the where I am right the place mm-hmm. where I, where I am and it's like okay but what if you are still on Earth but after an asteroid hit the oh, planet good. and yeah. things change you're like oh well then a specific condition I'm like you see how we are needing more and more information and. I can always think of another scenario where things get modified. So it is always about possibility and probability, and it's depending. It is uh, there is some sort of a uh, what can we say? 
it is always dependent on specific uh, particulars, we can say, right? On specific details, mm. the outcome of an inductive argument. While a, dedu a deductive argument doesn't depend on any of this. It's universal, right? It's necessary, given the yeah. premises. And, and the argument, like, the, the way I always compare the two is to say, like, okay, if I have uh, the premise... I have known you for at least eight weeks. I can conclude, therefore, I've known you for at least four weeks, right? Just because exactly. that's necessarily follows given the definition and relations of, of numbers. There's no question about it. You can't imagine the, conclu the conclusion not being true if that mm -hmm. premise is true, right? But if you take something like gravity, which you appeal to, it's like I could drop this marker a million times and it's, it's going to fall, right? I'm not crazy. I'm not saying it's, yeah. it's not going to follow the <laughs> laws. Um, but you can imagine me letting go of the marker and it floating up and something weird happening, right? Yes, yes. So what that tells us is that in an inductive argument, you can imagine that the conclusion is false even if the premises are true. In other words, Correct. it is metaphysically possible for the conclusion not to follow whereas it is metaphysically impossible for the conclusion not to follow in the deductive arguments correct correct and this this impossibility on the deductive argument is what makes it also very difficult to find a, a valid deductive argument right because you need Absolutely. this true premises so and i'm saying this just because uh, I don't want to give the impression that all oh, deductive arguments, we should get rid of science and we should go with deductive arguments all the time because that wouldn't be feasible because We'd true premises... Very little. <laughs> true premises are very hard to come by, right? And, and similarly, we could have valid deductive arguments that aren't sound, right? So, exactly. so there's no truth and then we'd be like, it's a good argument, but it doesn't matter because it's like wacky premises. Exactly, exactly. But again, truth is science is... Um, based um, on inductive arguments, right? Uh, that seems to be the case. And if that is true, then we need to cope with the fact that sometimes we'll get, well, actually, not sometimes, all the time, we don't get any certainty about things. That all things, all, uh, I remember years ago when, uh, a few years ago now, uh, when there was this idea that uh, there was this disputing of of uh, the, evolution, uh, the um, theory of, of evolution, right? That was all the mm. students were talking about. Um, and I, and they, the, the reproach was always like, because gravity is science. The theory of evolution is just a theory. And I was like, no. Mm. <laughs> all of these are theories, right? Uh, none of them is... Uh, and again, I'm going to use a word that might generate confusion, but... None of that is a fact. All of them are theories, right? Right. None of this is factual uh, for the reasons that we said last time that we've been saying in the past few uh, few episodes, I want to say. Yeah, and I'm thinking, well, let's see. Because I was thinking before about this point that science utilizes inductive arguments. And, mm -hmm. and that's what I usually say, too. And that's usually what I teach in, in mm -hmm. logic. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there's an interesting and, – and hold on. By the way, that doesn't mean it's bad, right? Yeah, I always yeah, say inductive reasoning doesn't mean bad reasoning because, like, I, I drink water every day, right? Yeah. And every time I've drank water since I was a child, 
it's yeah. been fine, right? I assume yeah. that the water is not going to burn a hole in my stomach this time. Or like <laughs> in uh, like Samir Okasha says, I, I turn on my laptop and I assume it's not going to blow up today. So yeah. you use inductive <laughs> reasoning all the time and you'd be crazy not to. Um, the point is just that there's a conceptual distinction a difference in domain and that doesn't mean that one's good and one's bad it just means they have different domains and on the point that science uses wholly inductive reasoning sometimes you get pushback from this yeah and i think the most interesting pushback i've heard i think i don't know if it was popper is this idea that well no science falsifies things and once something is falsified you have some kind of deductive knowledge so it's like let's say i made the claim all birds have four legs or something like that right and then i i found a bird just one that has three legs all of a sudden it seems like the claim all birds have four legs is now necessarily true because you found an exception to the rule. So it could be the case that science gives us like negative deductive knowledge, but okay. that seems to be the only area. Well, truth is that when it comes to falsification, and, and at least in, in Popper's version of it, right, all he was all he's trying to do is really um distinguishing science from all sorts of philosophies and ideologies right what it's trying to do is trying to tell us that science accepts uh the possibility of uh, something being different than what he says right of something going in a different direction and still that will not um how can we say will not make the theory uh false but because the theory is falsifiable, right? It tells us that it is open to the possibility of things being different, right? Mm-hmm. So science, according to Popper, is this system where uh, we can have uh, those theories, right? That are able to accept some element of contradiction, right? And because this theory is... This, this system is an open system, so to speak, right? Uh, for example, gravity, uh, the, the, you know, the theory that, of physics in general, if you want, or uh, I don't know, some specific aspect of, of a science, mm-hmm. is scientific because only because there is the possibility that eventually won't work in specific cases. Yes, while he would say, and Hegel is always the, the, the target on the other side, uh, when a theory is self-contained and is able to explain everything and doesn't accept any contradictions, well, in that case, that's not a scientific theory. Yeah, I feel like this issue of falsifiability is interesting um, because it, it has some consequences practically. and. Yeah. Some of them are positive and some of them are negative. And I mean that in like a uh, a good, bad sense, not in a mathematical sense. So like, okay. okay, the good consequence of 
keeping the falsifiability principle is that it would seem as though you lose some element of dogmatism, right? There's always yeah. the possibility that something isn't true. And, yeah. and you avoid, at least in principle, the absence of ideology, right? Because you always talk Correct. about how ideology is self-contained and has all these parts that work perfectly together and you never need to leave this system, right? Mm-hmm. So that's good. However, it can also become misunderstood to the point where people say they, they move from this scientific uh, principle of falsifiability to say, therefore, all knowledge and all claims must be falsifiable. And if not, then they're nonsense and we should throw them out. Yes. And that's totally wrong because the falsifiability principle only applies to empirical content. Exactly. It doesn't apply to rational content. So exactly. like A is A, not falsifiable. Right. If Socrates is human and all humans are mortal, then Socrates is mortal, not falsifiable. So it, it depends, you know, it, it depends on how you interpret it. If you interpret that principle within the correct domain, then it makes sense. Right. Absolutely. And that is the point. Right. The point is, uh, which is, I think, one of the things that we were saying last time, we need to we need to draw the borders of this domain because otherwise it becomes an ideology, actually, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes the opposite of what it is, and then we will get into this bad consequences of thinking that anything that's, which I think is the note in which we ended last time, everything that is not falsifiable becomes nonsensical and useless. Values and uh, deduct all things deductive, right? Which is not bad, which is which is pretty bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, I, I was thinking while we were talking about this. That the other pushback that you get from this perspective is the fact that uh, comes with the idea that, um, you know, when you point out this possibility and as proof of that, you point out that science has changed its mind, right? The things have changed in science throughout time. So there must be either two things, right? Either science is useless because it never give us uh, the absolute certainty, which we don't believe, right? Or science is this system that functions on induction and therefore will change uh, will change over time, right? Mm-hmm. But the pushback usually on that is like, well, uh, well, it changes over time because the things that we said before were not exactly correct because we didn't know enough. But however, they are necessary to get to this end point where we will finally have the absolute truth. In other words, there's this idea that science is this cumulative endeavor, right? Where I add more and more information, and I will eventually be able to have the totality of the facts under control, and mm-hmm. I will be able to describe reality perfectly and objectively, right? It's this progressive thing. It's progress, which uh, Popper was in favor of that, uh, while other philosophy philosophers of of science are not some others will say something different right yeah because to say that something is inherently progressing uh is to say that it's quote-unquote getting better or or perhaps better uh, perhaps more accurate yep and so to say that something's becoming more accurate would imply that the moments 
previous to the most recent moment are the second most accurate. Correct. Right? And so you're building on what's already there, but it's yep. not like this stuff previously is wrong. However, in the history of science, there are moments where later epochs, so to speak, wind up grabbing principles from older epochs, and that's how they become more accurate. Exactly. So in that case, the second most recent moment is not the most accurate. So it's not like this constant building. It's more like a, a waxing and waning, right? Absolutely. And not only that, I think that this idea of com accumulation, right, it gives you this idea of continuity between what was before and what was after. Again, it's like I always – so in this idea, science is like a bag where you keep on putting things, right? Mm. You keep on, on, on putting into this bag. And, of course – the bottom layer, it's necessary for the top layer to be there and so on and so on. And everything is self-contained there. Everything is it's in continuity, right? And then eventually the bag will be full and you have the truth. Uh, well, we know that that's not the case, right? Uh, there are discontinuities that come within scientific theories. And uh, we don't go, we don't always go, which is similar to what you were saying before, uh, in the direction of getting better using the same tools right we have shifts in in ways of thinking in paradigms paradigm oh my god i can't say this today for some reason <laughs> um we have shifts in those in those uh, systems of thinking that are not motivated by not even by error sometimes or by the will of getting more precise right sometimes we have shifts that are that are completely, um, how can we say, independent from from what's going on, right? So mm -hmm. the, I, I think that the the, the common sense uh, way of seeing changes in science are the following. Uh, you know, we have this theory. Now we notice that this theory doesn't work that much anymore. We notice that there are some mistakes, some we have some scientists that are going to tackle these issues and they're going to move us forward. Uh, not the case, or at least not necessarily the case, I should say. Sometimes, uh, this, this philosopher of science, Thomas Kuhn, says, actually what drives the change in paradigm is boredom. <laughs> the <laughs> fact that some, sciences, some scientists are bored of keep on doing over and over the same thing. They're working on the fringe, on the, top, on the outer layer, we can say, of the paradigm, and then eventually they push the boundary because they're bored, and they just, and if the this push happens at the right time, then things change, right? Then things change uh, radically, and we have this period where science goes through this revolutionary uh, period, Kuhn would say, right? A period where we have competing theories that try to explain what's going on when there is not one official one, and then eventually we settle into this regular times instead, right? In this normal uh, scientific times when there's one dominant theory and everything else is um, subordinate to that. And, and I think you can view the paradigms as being defined by a couple of things, uh, including foundational beliefs. Yeah. And, or at the very least, ways of... Uh, like extrapolating things from the foundational beliefs and then 
method in relation to that. And so boredom, that definitely seems to be one way that you could uh, have the shift. I think another way that a shift can result is if you're trying to explain something and there's no way to explain something using the current foundational belief and yet the thing is real, then you have to maybe be like, oh, maybe the reason I can't explain this is because there's something wrong with the foundational belief or at least not entirely correct. So let's see if I can trade this out for a different foundational belief that now allows me to explain the latest phenomena uh, in accordance with this set of principles. And if it does, then we're going to accept it. And I feel like on the one hand, you could say that that's done, um, how would I say this, in from a purely knowledge-based standpoint where your goal is to figure out the truth. But yeah. you could also say that that is, is, is merely pragmatic in yeah. that your goal is not to have the quote-unquote truth, to return to that word, but to be able to explain practically. And I feel like that pragmatic element sometimes muddies things up, right? Because it can create like a dogma almost, or it makes it seem like we're more concerned with productivity than we are searching for knowledge. Yeah, um, it is true that I think that is one concern there. But I, so I agree with what you're saying up to a point, though. Um, mean that we need to add another element there because if he was just the will which is partially what kun says uh, if it was just the will of explaining stuff right if it, if it was just i cannot say this with this current paradigm so let me change foundation right and eventually we'll get to to what we have to get and this way we have the revolution right eventually we we, we move away from that paradigm that will not explain certain things um and i remember I think it's in the structure of scientific revolution. Um, Hume actually brings, uh, Hume, sorry, Kuhn actually brings up uh, uh, Barclay. Mm. And he says, um, and I know this because ages ago, my master degree thesis was on Barclay. Right, so, right. Your favorite so, guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and Barclay is the first one that had, it's the probably the true inventor of calculus. Hmm. Now, we do know that calculus is eventually, uh, that, that actually Newton is, is uh, credited with that, even though Leibniz was the one that came out with it at the same time. Right, there's the I, struggle. There's the, and you, you know the story, right? The, 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 the two of them, they're like, no, I invented first, no, I invented, I invented first. And then <laughs> Newton says to Leibniz, okay, let's have the Royal Academy of England decides who invented this and Leibniz that seems not to be that bright from this perspective <laughs> says okay let's do that forgetting that Newton was like pretty much <laughs> the Royal Academy right um, so he, Newton gets credited but both of them were second to Barclay now what happened when Barclay presents this theory the times are not mature for this uh, basically, what's happening is is not taken in consideration. It's pushed back because uh, this innovation it is presenting is presented in a time where there is no wiggle room 
mm. and the theory right now because the theory is probably still too young. The mathematical theory at the moment is still too young to accept any variation, even more to accept such a radical change. Um, so Barclay noticed that certain things could not be said, but still uh, it's quite a little bit of time until Newton and Leibniz eventually get to to establish that. So it's not, in other words, it's not merely a matter of re-explaining things and reframing, because if that were the case, this would have been reframed then, but it's a case of, like, who is the <laughs> the keeper of the doctrine? Yep. So there's this almost kind of uh, authoritative structure and dogma in the system aside from the pragmatic element, like insofar as we just we need to preserve the system itself there's yes. a bias yes and it seems also to be um, to be proportional i want to say to the to how old this specific theory is at that moment mm. the the less established the theory is the more it will push back against any sort of variation the, le- the more established the theory is, the more is accepting of variation, which I think it's interesting, right? It is. And I, I feel like I'm thinking something that may demonstrate uh, the unification of the, the pragmatic dogma I was talking about and then the authoritative or novel dogma, whatever you want to call it, that you were saying yes. is the string theory, uh, th- uh, string theory stuff. Because I've heard people critique string theory in that the proponents of it will say things like, but it is so beautiful. (laughs) Like it it now (laughs) explains everything and it's this new thing and like we're exploring all these avenues. So A, it's new and B, it seems to offer more explanatory power. Therefore, we need to sit within this box or something like that. Yes. And it seems that, you know, and I actually like the idea that elegance and beauty, it's something that right, we need right. to take in consideration that I like. But yeah, yeah, you're right. That that seems to be the, the unifying point there, right? Um, I'm wondering how, um, again, I'm, whoever is listening to us, I'm wondering what they're thinking. They're thinking like, wait a minute, are we saying that science is not this pure uh, <laughs> This pure thing where, you know, you have the scientists close in the, in the lab and looking for the truth at all costs. And is science like, really, does it work really this way? Is it, ti- is it, is it tied to, to authority and, uh, uh, and pragmatical stuff like this? And the answer is yes, we're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are saying that, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. That it's bad. Or that, no, it's, abs- that it's unuseful or completely untrue or something like that. Absolutely not. We're saying, we're saying that, and again, we go back to the first episode, that science is a human thing. <laughs> and like everything human is uh, subjected to and subjective to um, authority and all the misleading and mis- misguided things that we do. Right? And we're not even adding the layer of the money there right and oh right what kind yeah of, what kind of research gets financed what kind of research does not get financed and again uh why do we spend a lot of money trying to cure one thing for example in medicine which 
I think we need an entire different episode on medicine because yeah, I'm not even yeah. sure that that is a science, but Ooh. We'll, we'll put that in quotes right now. But I'm saying, why do we finance certain certain uh, scientific theory, right? And scientists are exploring certain things while we do not found others. And we're not even talking about that. We're just talking about science in itself, right? Mm-hmm. But as you said, that doesn't mean that science is useless meaningless or it doesn't give us anything it is it is a guide and it's a guide that we all follow and that i think we need to follow uh but knowing its limitations i always say it's not because i say these things i just jump off windows all the time because well who cares about gravity right if you make it more than once <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, i don't do that or it's not that i i run through walls and try and think that i will pass through them eventually you know unless i'm i become a ghost uh i'm not saying that what i'm saying is we need to be aware of the fact that there are limits yeah and uh i as we're having the the previous part of the conversation about the preservation of the box so to speak i'm thinking of a planet of the apes like i feel like this is such a good metaphor for for thinking about this stuff right the idea that there's the council and the council has a certain doctrine, and we understand things in terms of the doctrine because they could theoretically be explained in terms of the doctrine, and to go against the doctrine is is heresy, and sometimes there's impure incentives and other you know all that good stuff. But on this point of I don't know how you want to say it, like how could I accurately say it? Um, trying to reframe science in the most philosophically accurate way possible i think it's like all right phenomena is happening right like the phenomena is there there is something actual there right in in our in our experiential window that's that much is not questioned there is thing there but science isn't just thing there right science is how do we understand that thing that is there? What does it mean when we say that the thing is there? Exactly. Uh, why did that thing happen in relation to these other things? Let me use this specific set of tools to try and formulate some causal explanation of this thing and have it fit into a larger system. And, and those aren't bad. It's just like, it, it reminds me actually of the distinction we made in the epistemology episode between uh, actuality and truth, that there's a gap there and truth will uh, paint a vivid picture of actuality, but, but there's a gap. And science isn't merely like, here's actual. It's like, here's our way of understanding the actual. And that's, that's a big distinction. And again, it doesn't mean we throw it out the window. It doesn't mean we think that uh, medicine is not real or that gravity is not real or that there aren't things that are true or scientifically proven. It just means like we have to find a way of qualifying science. Like we have to make an effective meta science. Yes. And um, while you were thinking of this, I don't know why, in my mind uh, popped like uh, Richard Dawkins and then after him. Oh, Neil the dear Tyson. Richard Dawkins. And Neil deGrasse Tyson, these two guys popped in my mind. Uh, 
as a bad example of what this meta science will be, right? Yes. Both of them have made claims in the past. I think it was Dawkins who made the claim, well, science is true because it works. <laughs> right. And it's like, wait, those are two different things. <laughs> I'm like, what? What do you, what do you mean? Uh, uh, again, there's so many false things that can work, right? I can give you some false information so you end up behaving in a specific way and this works given a specific frame, right? Hmm. Yeah, and, and similarly, Neil deGrasse Tyson says like, the good thing about science is that it's true whether or not you believe in it. and Not true, actually. And, and the accurate thing to say is the good thing about reality is that it's real whether or not you believe in it. But that's a different thing than what science. he's saying. And and it, so these people who are otherwise super intelligent and brilliant do this weird meta science that is is not accurate. Um which which is just funny to say because people are going to be like who are you to say that these <laughs> these people or whatever. But well, they only well, not only do they do that but they badmouth philosophy. Yeah, which and is the reason why we talk about them, I no, guess. <laughs> They're pushing us to the edge, right? But Neil deGrasse Tyson, I feel like, has said in an interview, it was when I was an undergrad, um, basically saying that philosophy of science is a useless endeavor because it results in us sitting around contemplating whether or not one-hand clapping <laughs> is possible. And I'm like, this is so messed up that so, that someone who's so respected could just inaccurately present uh, this information. And I remember I shared it with, I had a professor when I was at Montclair who was like, I think his BA was in physics and then his PhD was in philosophy. So he had this like cool uh, background and he had all these cool classes. Like he did the epistemology class and philosophy of space and all these That's things. That's nice. And I sent him this article, and I was like, oh, have fun with this. And then I saw him a couple hours later, and he was like, you know, I'm mad at you because this is all I did the whole afternoon. <laughs> and he noticed a pattern. Like someone in the comments seemed to explain the position of the, the scientismists, let's say, accurately. And he says, what they do is whenever they see something good happening they call that science. And whenever they see something bad happening, they call that philosophy. Yep. In other words, there's no possibility for there being good philosophy or philosophy of science. If it's good, it's automatically science. Which is turning that thing into ideology, which was exactly Popper's <laughs> fear, yeah. right? It, it's like it, Newton contained a philosophical element, right? But the parts of Newton that were right and effective, they say... Oh, well, that's not philosophy. That's science. <laughs> and it, it's interesting because, you know, when, when they say things like the one you mentioned about uh, DeGrasse Tyson saying that, uh, you know, science works independently of the fact that you believe in it or not, then I would like for him to explain to me uh, if all the past things that we call science were actually science. Because there is oh, an element of that's a great question things in the past that have been uh, that have been uh, called science, and scientists back then would say, "Oh, they're true 
regardless of if you believe in them or not. And then we don't believe in them anymore. Like it wasn't actual science. So you're left in the position with either concluding, no, what I mean is the most recent moment of science is true whether or not you believe in it, which is false. Or you have to say the science when it is completely true is true independent of your beliefs, which is that's never happened. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 crazy. And uh, and and the other guy again, and Dawkins, when he says like again that you know science, it's it's different because it works, right? And it's true because it works. It's like there's this idea that that the fact that we see some results that seems to be tied to a specific uh, domain as working for us automatically uh, they are describing again there's not the gap doesn't exist anymore they are almost reality right which also i would ask him the same thing right how does it work then because he seemed he seemed to work back then when they were curing the plague by giving them i don't know uh, the equivalent of vodka to drink <laughs> to burn mm. the germs right? right and they thought that that was the thing or when they were leeching people right what, what uh, is it like Hildegard von Bingen with the diamond water and all that exactly. stuff? Exactly, or, or Berkeley drinking like uh, again Berkeley drinking all oh, the tar. Uh, yeah, the tar water. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we did so many stupid things, and do we call them scientific? Again, unless you can give me an explanation of why that was also working and why that were also science, and now it's not anymore, then those arguments are like they're. They're not good arguments. It reminds me of, I think we said this in probably like the first two or three episodes where uh, Michio Kaku says, like, there is no hard problem of consciousness. So that's like one idea, right? Because (laughs) it doesn't matter whether a computer feels red when it detects it. And I'm like, that's a nonsense. Like, those are two different concepts, right? Non sequiturs, right? (laughs) Totally. And which is why it's, it's, Similarly, um, a lot of the times people will say science is a priori knowledge. Which is not. Which is not, right? And because they're making, well, for the reasons we said before, but also because there's this element of like trying to make claims about things that didn't happen yet, right? There's a future orientedness, like a a prediction aspect to science. And as Hume would say, in order to do that, you need to presuppose the uniformity of nature. Exactly. Right? The idea that nature is not capricious and functions in accordance with a certain set of things and will never not do those things, which I happen to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, like presupposing the uniformity of nature is not bad. I don't think it's wrong, but, but it is a presupposition. Not only is it a presupposition, it's a presupposition that sometimes it's easier to believe in than others, right? And depending which aspect of the of nature you're looking at, you're more willing to accept uh, variation rather than, than constants within nature, right? I'm not saying that I don't believe in the fact that nature is not capricious and it's uniform. I believe that too, most of the times, even though there's some times where I say, well, maybe we haven't grasped that yet. We don't know exactly. We're presupposing something that we don't, we really shouldn't, right? The, the, the premise are, is not that strong on this. And again, I'm not saying this because I want a bad mouth or I don't believe in science. I don't know how many times we have to say this, but I think, 
I think it helps to to say that. I agree. And um, and you know, not only that, but I think that the other mistake that that, that some of these uh, science lovers make is conflating math and science together. Yes, we've seen this, like me yes. and you, yes. with other people many times. Yes. Well, math it is in a priori. Yes, yes. Discipline. Science is not, right? So science tries to use mathematical concepts and uses math in specific situations, but is not math. Math, like some philosophy, it is purely deductive and theoretical, while science is completely different. It's on the other side. Science is more like, uh, like I don't know, Science is mechanic, right? It's like it's mm. mechanical in, in a specific way, in some ways. I always Most say of, that math is numeric ontology, right? Because it, it's about it the relations between uh, the being of numeric entities. And so math is abstract. And what it means for something to be abstract is not weird right because people think abstract art is abstract because it's weird that's not what that means (laughs) it means you're making the move from concrete perceptual phenomena to universals and or types and and universals are these things where they are forms to use plato's language right broad just what's what's the phrase to brush with broad strokes Mm-hmm. Um, that denote a set of things, but not any one of those things in particular. You're talking about like all items in the set. Uh, so it's not attached to any concrete phenomena. And that's what math is. So it's like when you say two plus two is four, you're not talking about a specific thing that's happening in the world. You're saying there's this idea of two-ness that you can't touch. It's not tangible. It's, it's purely conceptual. And there's this idea of addition, and this idea of equalsness, right? and this idea of fourness. And when you arrange those ideas, and again, this goes back to Hume's relations of ideas. Um, sorry, I was just thinking about how Kant would respond to this. When you uh, arrange <laughs> the numbers, it just it's definitionally correct, and that's mm-hmm. what math is. You're talking about ideas, whereas in science, you're not you're talking about things out in the world and you may need to use those eidetic relations to help you understand and or explain and or make predictions about those things but this is totally distinct it's yes and i and i try to explain this in two different ways uh one one goes exactly more or less the way you said it i add that there's no way i'm all of a sudden bumping into a number two outside right? (laughs) right right that never happens uh, I can bump into two trees, right, but not to number two. And then the the other thing that I try to explain is the direction of the reasoning, right? Mm. With math, you usually go from this very spe- with this very a specific, abstract, general knowledge that you have, and eventually you can embody this into a very specific particular thing, right? Mm. But you always start with the abstract, and then eventually again, you have to start with two-ness, uh, addition, uh, equalness, and fourness, right? You need the fundamentals. You need that, and then you can say, I have two apples and two bananas that makes four fruits, right? Mm. 
But if you don't have that, you cannot get to the specific. While science does the opposite, right? I have this single phenomenon, the single particular phenomenon, which is uh, when I drop my pen, it goes on the floor. When I drop my marker, it goes on the floor. When I, um, I don't know, if I throw something, eventually it falls on the floor. So I observe this particular instances, and then I unify this into a general theory, mm. which is gravity, right? So from particular to universal science, from universal to particular math or deduction in general, I would say. That, that, uh, that's pretty interesting, and I feel like probably um, a good place to talk in the future would be about these very concepts of, of like universals and particulars and what exactly the difference is, um, where they originate from, whether yep. they're actually in the world or in your mind. Uh, and how this affects our understanding of things, because I think there's a lot of lot to be said, not only metaphysically, but also epistemologically and psychologically with regard to this distinction. Um, but thus far, we've we've uh, spent this yeah. episode. It happened so quickly. I think we did yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I think it was good. That we still, again, as always, there's so many things that we didn't talk about. The one that you just said, we did. I don't think we touched upon this idea of objectivity that seems to be no that guy we gotta have uh its own episode on objectivity yeah and uh but yeah yeah i i think we've we've done pretty good as a general uh episode or a couple of episodes on this we might need to tackle some of the specific and you know eventually in standalone episodes which i think sooner or later we need to have those dive-ins um subtextual sort of of episodes i think it will be cool to do something like that soon i agree that would be cool and it'd also be cool if people sent in like little sub questions relating yep. to the general topics we talked about because then we could uh have have a you know audience question discussion type thing which i think would be pretty cool yeah uh, hopefully uh i mean hopefully we are at the end of this a strange period where we do this online and we don't see anybody. That's right. Except, so we can we can be more involved with uh, with the listeners. Also, we can meet some of them eventually. That sounds and, good. And talk. All right, but I think that's it for today, right? Yep. See you around. All right. See you around. Mm-hmm.